Focus on Headline. All right, let's take a look at what major issues are making the headlines today on Focus on Headline. For this, joining us in the studio today, we have Kwon Zwa and Cha Yoon Gyeong. Guys, welcome back. Good evening. Happy Mondays to you guys. Happy Monday. Happy Monday. Uh, it's Monday, and there was a whole lot of things happening over the weekend, so we got a lot mm-hmm. to cover here. Uh, this starting off with, of course, with the shangri la dialogue, uh, which happened uh, over in Singapore. Uh, the defense chiefs of number of countries coming together for talks there. Uh, this is where also the defense chiefs of South Korea, the U.S. and Japan uh, agreed on the launching of a system to share North Korean missile warning data. And this is all the more important if you guys remember. North uh, Japan seems to always have trouble getting information on the North Korean missiles because there was uh, sometimes when there was... I believe there was only one fired, but they said it was like two fired, and there was a kind of a, a mishap with the uh, the uh, information on the North Korean missile system. They've always kind of requested that South Korea request the uh, the information on that. Back then, of course, uh, tensions were still high between the two neighboring countries, but now that everything is very friendly, we have an agreement here. So, are uh, you going to start us off? Sure. South Korea's Defense Minister Lee Jong-sop and his U.S. and Japanese counterparts Lloyd Austin and Yasukazu Hamada got together on the occasion of the Shangri-La Dialogue, an annual defense summit that concluded on Sunday. The three defense chiefs agreed to launch a three-way sharing of real-time data warning of North Korean missiles. It's a follow-up agreement made by the three countries' leaders in Phnom Penh, Cambodia in November last year at the sidelines of ASEAN-related meetings. Now there, President Yoon Suk-yeol, Joe Biden, President Joe Biden, and Prime Minister Fumio Kishida had decided to, quote, intend to share DPRK missile warning data in real time to improve each country's ability to detect and assess the threat posed by incoming missiles calling it a major step for deterrence, peace, and stability. Now, at their trilateral talks uh, by the three defense ministers in Singapore on Saturday, the three agreed that this will happen this year. So a time frame for the launch of such system has been set for the first time. The planned system is expected to make it possible for Seoul, Washington, and Tokyo to share missiles launch points, flight trajectories, as well as estimated points of impact. Seoul's Defense Minister Lee Jong-sop told reporters after the meeting that there are discussions underway on linking the data sharing system between South Korea and the U.S. and the one between the U.S. and Japan to enable the real-time sharing among all three nations. The three ministers also welcomed the recent normalization of the South Korea-Japan General Security of Military Information Agreement, or GSAMIA, and saw eye-to-eye on the importance of building defense-related trust between countries in the region. That's right, and uh, not to mention with the uh, the normalizing ties between the two countries in South Korea and Japan, what we also saw was uh, the two countries holding the bilateral defense talks uh, for the first time in three and a half years. One of the things that... uh, we were talking about uh, in, oralize, in order to fully normalize uh, the ties between the two countries, we had the historical issues as well. But Japan also kind of brought up, uh, if you guys remember, the patrol plane issue uh, some time ago where uh, they accused the South Korean Navy of locking in on one of the, uh, the patrol planes. There was... A huge conflict in regards to this, even despite uh, the normalizing of the ties between the two countries, Japan kept on bringing this up, said in order to fully normalize defense 
uh, I guess, uh, agreements. They need to get this done and over with here. Seems like they have uh, discussed measures and kind of uh, avoiding uh, or preventing occurrences of that uh, patrol plane conflict. Yoon Young, you're going to give us the details of that. That's right, SJ. South Korea and Japan have decided to come up with measures to prevent a recurrence of patrol plane conflict, the biggest obstacle to defense exchanges between the two countries. Defense Minister Lee Jong-seop told reporters after meeting with Japanese Defense Minister Yasukaz Hamada on the occasion of the 20th Asia Security Summit, as known as Shangri-La Dialogue, in Singapore on the 4th. The bilateral meeting between the defense ministers of Korea and Japan is the first in about three and a half years since the meeting between Minister Chung Gyeong-do and Defense Minister Taro Kono in November 2019. Uh, the Ministry of National Defense explained as the leaders of Korea and Japan confirmed that Korea-Japan relations was on track of normalization and agreed to develop bilateral relations to a higher level. The Republic of Korea and Japan defense authorities also decided to communicate closely to promote security cooperation. As President Yoon Seok-yeol and Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida declared normalization of bilateral relations and enhancement of relations through summits in March and May, the defense authorities also seemed to defuse the patrol plane conflict that has continued since 2018. An official from the Ministry of National Defense said the position of the South Korean and Japanese defense authorities regarding the patrol plane conflict remains unchanged, but added for now they agreed to come up with measures to prevent a recurrence. Japanese media, including uh, Kyodo News, reported that Defense Minister Hamada met with Japanese reporters after the meeting and agreed to start discussions on measures to prevent a recurrence of the Korea-Japan radar and patrol aircraft conflict. Defense Minister Hamada said, quote, the Defense Ministry's position remains the same as a final view. We discussed it honestly with each other and will communicate closely based on the results of the talks. The Japanese government is in a position that the withdrawal of this guideline is necessary to prevent the recurrence of conflicts. All right, so obviously uh, with discussions on that front and sort of eliminating any kind of misunderstanding on that front as well. We're going to mm -hmm. see finally uh, one of the things that they really need to uh, clear out here. But right. uh, what, what about in regards to uh, North Korea's recent launch of their space rocket? Obviously, this is the, the big criticism from the uh, international community mm -hmm. because it does use uh, ballistic missile technology, right? Yes. Yes, SJ. South Korea and Japan's defense ministers criticized North Korea's recent launch of a space launch vehicle using ballistic missile technology. North Korea's launch of a long-range ballistic missile in the name of a satellite is a serious violation of the UN Security Council resolution, the two ministers said. It is important to further develop security cooperation between South Korea, the US, and Japan to suppress and respond to North Korea's nuclear and missile threats, build trust between South Korea and Japan and promote exchange and cooperation at various levels, he stressed. The Ministry of National Defense also reaffirmed the importance of an international order based on international norms and rules and decided to discuss regional and global tasks between the two countries which share universal values.
In the meantime, uh, where there was no agreement made uh, was at the uh, the UN Security Council, obviously, and this uh, not really a big surprise, obviously. Mm. And they got together. Uh, they, of course, uh, talked about North Korea's recent attempt to launch a satellite. Again, the big thing here is using ballistic missile technology, which uh, obviously goes against the UN uh, Security Council resolutions against North Korea. But uh, so do tell us more, though. Again, not really surprising here. Right. Uh, not a big surprise. Uh, the UN Security Council members failed to agree on uh, the North's latest spy satellite test, meaning they failed to denounce it in one voice yeah. or agree on a new resolution involving sanctions. And not even a statement came out. Uh, the meeting at the UN headquarters in New York Friday was uh, convened two days after Pyongyang launched a space vehicle with a military reconnaissance satellite uh, denounced by many council members as being a violation of numerous UNSC resolutions that are already existent against the reclusive country. And that, regardless of the test's failure that North Korea itself also admitted, along with its vow to make another attempt in the near future. So why was there no agreement made at the council? I bet, SJ, you already know the answer. China and Russia. Exactly, because China and Russia, permanent members of the UNSC, were not on the same page as other members. In fact, they blamed the West for North Korea's behavior, especially claiming the U.S. is choosing tension over negotiations with the North. Uh, representatives of the two countries also claimed that Pyongyang's actions are defensive. Now, the recent meeting was requested by the U.S., Japan, European countries, and South Korea uh, with them calling on unified actions on the UNSC front. But again, it failed. Yeah, exactly. Um, but again, uh, a lot of people are saying, well, look, I mean, uh, North Korea kind of botched their space rocket launch. But I believe what one of the, uh, was it John Kirby, who I think have said it, the Pentagon spokesman, it doesn't matter if it was a botched launch. Is What happens is they're still improving their missile technology and eventually they're going to uh, be able to launch it. Uh, we had talked to take. Uh, we talked to an expert just last week, and even for example, SpaceX in their first launch, they failed. Uh, even South Korea uh, uh, failed. So, well, partially succeeded. Right? We don't want to use a fail in the first launch. So they're saying North Korea, although they failed the first launch, it is another step towards to potentially finalizing and really advancing their rocket technology, missile technology, and so forth. So it's still considered a threat where a lot of people even say that them sending a satellite into orbit is sort of a cover for them to really advance their ballistic missile technology. Now they're able to send, use the technology and maybe send a rocket even further uh, than, than what they can do right now. So hence uh, the... Uh, the criticism right now but uh, mm. and uh, yeah. failures actually can be even more dangerous to countries nearby right, right. which is why the IMO recently came out mm -hmm. right I mean IMO was kind of complaining about the, uh, the the ballistic missile uh, test in the first place but it, it, you're right imagine what would happen if they fail and then it just kind of lands in the middle mm -hmm. of the sea somewhere where a lot of these container ships do go back and forth to different countries here mm -hmm. uh, speaking of IMO, uh, Kim Il-jung, right, the deputy head of the North's ruling Workers' Party and uh, also the younger sister of Kim, uh, Kim Jong-un, mm -hmm. she was displeased, to say the least, uh, with the Security Council discussion. I uh, said it will continue on the satellite launch without notification to the International Maritime Organization this time. Yoon Kyung, uh, give us the details on this. That's right, SJ. On the 4th, Kim Yo-jung said, 
UN Security Council's discussion on North Korea's launch of a military reconnaissance satellite as a sole agenda is a blasphemy and distortion of the spirit of the UN Charter. Kim said in a statement released through the Korean Central News Agency on the 4th, I am very displeased with the Security Council making North Korea's exercise of sovereign rights into a problem. She stressed that the Security Council sanctions against North Korea were unfair, adding, we have never carried uh, illegal sanctions resolutions, and this position will never change. She also argued, quote, this pressuring unbalanced situation will not be sustainable forever. She urged other countries not to side with the United States, saying there are many ways in the world to shine their national prestige and ensure safety without being on the side of the United States. And in fact, there are many such independent countries. Deputy Minister Kim said, we will continue to launch military reconnaissance satellites and respond strongly until the U.S. and its followers feel bored and admit their choices are wrong, and we will continue to do what we have to do without stopping. In addition, North Korea protested the International Maritime Organization's adoption of a resolution condemning the North's missile launch for the first time in history and announced that it may not notify the IMO in advance even if it fires a satellite in the future. The KCNA said, as the International Maritime Organization responded to our preliminary notification of satellite launch with the adoption of an anti-republic resolution, we will regard this as an as the organization's official sa- statement that our prior notification is no longer necessary. In the future, the uh, IMO will have to take measures on on its own for the duration of the satellite launch and the point of drop of the carrier, she said. They will have to be fully responsible for all the uh, all the consequences. And as we know, North Korea launched a space launch vehicle on April 31st, calling it a military reconnaissance satellite, but it failed to move properly and crashed into the West Sea. Immediately after North Korea launched a military reconnaissance satellite, the IMO adopted a resolution condemning the North Korean missile launch at its headquarters in London, England for the first time. The Security Council held an open meeting on North Korea's non-proliferation issue at its New York headquarters on the second local time, but failed to agree on an official response due to opposition from China and Russia. Basically, North Korea is coming out and saying, listen, uh, we are abiding by what the international norm is. That Mm -hmm. is that we're going to send a uh, military reconnaissance satellite up like every other country, and we're going to let the IMO know. We're going to also let Japan know because that's going to be like the neighbor, the country that may be impacted by some of the debris or whatever, you know, when they do the separation and whatever falls onto the ocean, it might be near Japan. Mm -hmm. And so we are going by the international norm because this is not an illegal launch and Mm -hmm. we're doing what everyone did. And we're going to let IMO know. And then IMO responds with the resolution and go, how dare you respond within resolution? We're just doing what, you know what? You guys don't even deserve a warning next time. And now (laughs) IMO is basically on their blood blacklist right now this is of course how uh japan rolls but it is going to get interesting because uh according to again some some of these uh, satellite imageries uh that some of these media outlets have been getting they're saying there's a whole lot of activity right now uh in the new satellite launch uh location i believe that they've, oh. they've moved the location and so uh it might actually come uh within weeks 
time is what they're saying and this time around there's going to be absolutely no warning and uh, who knows maybe we'll get another uh, alert uh, text message in the, in the morning <laughs> moving on here south korea upgrading its uh, veterans affairs ministry this monday from what it used to be sub-ministry level uh, so i'll do tell us about today's ceremony uh, marking the transformation and also what is the uh, significance of this uh, new status well, uh, some of our listeners might not be aware of the fact that uh, South Korea's Veterans Affairs Ministry was actually not a full-fledged ministry, but a lower-level governmental body or sub-ministry-level agency. Uh, especially in English, it could be confusing, as uh -huh. it had been called a ministry before, and the top official there was also called the Veterans Minister. Uh -huh. However, in Korean, uh, it was differentiated as 국가보훈처, whereas ministries have pu at the end so mm -hmm. now it's the pu. now this monday an inauguration ceremony for the patriots and veterans affairs ministry which is the full name of it was held at the government complex in sejong it was attended by some 300 people including prime minister handoksu other officials and foreign diplomats the upgrade of the ministry was one of president yun seok-yeol's uh, complaint pledges uh, back in March, in fact, President Yoon signed a bill in approval of the revision of the Government Organization Act, which paved the way for the elevation of the Veterans Ministry. Uh, let me give you some uh, background on uh, this uh, ministry. In 1961, uh, the Act for Establishment of Military Relief Administration was enacted. So it was called Wonhocheong. So that was the Military Relief Administration mm -hmm, mm -hmm. back then. Uh, now, this was the first time a state agency was established for wounded veterans and families of fallen soldiers and the status of the agency changed from time to time and that's attributed to ideological and political reasons of different administrations as well as due to financial issues in 2017 for instance it was upgraded to a ministry but its head was not given a cabinet member role meaning it was difficult to turn proposals related to veterans uh, policies into law. However, now the minister is given the right to vote at cabinet meetings and can issue ministerial orders. All right. So what does this essentially mean from now on? And, and you know, the most important thing is obviously, you know, we, we say it went from sub-ministry level to now a full-fledged ministry. What changes are we expecting from this? Well, basically, there will be more recognition and appreciation for those who made sacrifices for the nation. Good, good. Minister Pang Min-sik, the first veterans minister of the UN administration at Monday ceremony, pledged efforts to better honor the people of national merit and also promote a climate in society to better support them. Some of the projects known are a plan to create a new park in Yongsan district, Seoul. Yongsan, as we know, is where the presidential offices uh, to commemorate war veterans and other patriots that will resemble the National Mall in Washington, D.C. And also, the Seoul National Cemetery is expected to undergo a transformation into a comprehensive facility dedicated to veterans and patriots, similar to the Arlington National Cemetery, again, in the U.S. And also, medical and rehabilitation services will be expanded. Uh, they did have those before, but for instance, they're going to have more veterans hospitals or hospitals designated for veterans and uh, the ministry will also have an increase in the number of employees that will be increased by 26 people to 337 yeah uh, speaking of which uh, speaking of Yongsan and uh, the veterans uh, if anyone 
of our listeners uh, plan to visit South Korea anytime soon, I, I always encourage you guys to go visit the, uh, the National War Memorial Museum mm. uh, in Yongsan. I, I, I hate, I, I'm, I, one of our listeners' name is Museum. I hate to say this. I'm not a big fan of museums, but that is one museum I've gone more than three times now. It is mm. a remarkable place, and there's something very, I don't know. It, it, you look at uh, some of these... Um, they, they even have a, uh, what is it, the remains mm. of one of the fallen soldiers mm. uh, at the museum. And uh, it, it, it strikes you very differently. You have this weird feeling about this. And also you get to learn about some of the other countries that fought alongside mm. uh, so, uh, South Korea during the Korean War. And I always encourage you guys uh, to check it out. And I'm glad that uh, with this uh, ministry now, uh, the veterans and the heroes uh, get what they deserve. And of course, those the fallen soldiers and the fallen heroes also continue to get the uh, the recognition that they deserve as well. Uh, in the meantime, President Yoon Seo-gyar uh, recently attended the inauguration ceremony of the Overseas Koreans Agency. Uh, said that the Korean government will live up to the Overseas Koreans expectations. Yoon Gyal, let's get more on this. That's right, SJ. President Yoon Seo-gyar said on the 5th, Overseas Koreans desperately want a window of opportunity for their motherland and compatriot society to grow together, adding the Republic of Korea wants to live up to the expectations. President Yoon attended the inauguration ceremony of the Overseas Koreans office in Songdo in Chen earlier in the day and said the Overseas Koreans office is an organization dedicated to overseas Koreans suitable for Korea's elevated status and national status. President Yoon emphasized in the future, the Overseas Koreans office will not only protect and support overseas Koreans, but also serve as a link to promote exchanges and cooperation between overseas Koreans and their motherland. He then said those Koreans who are located abroad are Korea's precious offshore network that extends to the world, adding if 7.5 million Korean networks are closely connected to each other and share the necessary information and experience, overseas Koreans in Korea will grow and develop together. It is the responsibility of the state to take care of the pain of our compatriots uh, wherever they are in the world, President Yoon said, bringing up a meeting with Korean victims in Hiroshima, Japan last month. President Yoon also said protecting the identity of the next generation of overseas Koreans as Koreans and continuing the relationship with their homeland is an essential task for the Overseas Koreans office to carry out. He added, we will provide excellent Korean language education so that second and third generation Koreans can inherit their identity with pride of Koreans and provide programs to visit and experience Korea. President Yoon presented a letter of appointment to Lee the first head of the Overseas Korean office, and delivered a signboard of the office building. In the meantime, uh, the government vowed to overhaul the state subsidy system for civil organizations or uh, NGOs. Uh, this following an inspection of thousands of private groups on how they use these state subsidies. A lot of controversies in regards to this. It uh, turns out uh, that many of them misused those government funds. I saw Phyllis in on this. 
Right, let's start with some numbers here. 1,865, that's the number of illegal spending and corruption cases that they detected. Uh, related to state subsidy projects, that's related to state subsidy projects worth 1.1 trillion won, or roughly $841 million. And the irregularities were worth 31.4 billion won, or 24 million US dollars. So this was the result of the government audit that looked into government subsidies distributed to some 12,000 civil organizations in the past three years. Uh, the Office for Government Policy Coordination under the Prime Minister's office was in charge of this. The total number of private organizations in Korea is around 25,000. So roughly half of those organizations were subject to the audit. The pres presidential office made this revelation on Sunday, citing its inspection that it conducted from January to April. So in specific, in what ways was the money misused? Embezzlement, accepting rebates, private expenses, fabrication of documents, insider trading, etc. And uh, those found guilty of these irregularities will face punishments as the government plans to refer these cases to investigative institutions. On Monday, according to a presidential spokesperson, President Yoon Seok-yeol ordered a strong crackdown on corruption involving government subsidies, as well as the complete recovery of misappropriated funds. The ruling People Power Party, meanwhile, urged the government to also kick off an investigation into organizations that were not subject to the recent audit. As I mentioned before, there were 12,000, but there wow. are some 25,000 uh, in the country. The Office for Government Policy Coordination is scheduled to hold a meeting on the inspection results on Wednesday with audit officers that took part in the recent findings. And uh, they will discuss how to restructure the government subsidy system to prevent these abuses from repeating themselves. And I have to say, it's our tax money. <laughs> That's This is coming from taxpayers' money. So let's do hope that they will find some ways to overhaul the system. Yeah, you know, you know what else they're trying to crack down is uh, if you've seen out in the streets of Seoul, you see a lot of these like really expensive sports cars. Oh, mm -hmm. right. And then so uh, those that are rentals, right, they have the whole ha ha, mm -hmm. like the heat uh, uh, mm -hmm. plates, right? So those are rentals, right? Mm -hmm. So what they're saying is a lot of these like I'm talking about like the supercars even mm -hmm. that have the heat rent, uh, the rent rental status. Mm -hmm. Basically, they are uh, either let's say uh, like a a company head's uh, son, right? Basically gets that from his dad, right? His daddy. And then the daddy writes that off as company car. Mm. And that's tax deductible because that's company car. Like it's supposed mm -hmm. to be, you know, expenses and things like that, mm -hmm. which it's not. Giving your son an expensive sports car is not a company write-off, right? And so they're trying to crack down on this. Mm -hmm. And so any car that is purchased under the company name now is going to have a different uh, plate color. Oh, <laughs> put a, interesting. Like, a neon, neon yellow. <laughs> a neon yellow. <laughs> neon yellow plate so that it really stands out and says oh, this. Wow. Is, so now they're really trying to crack down on this. So mm -hmm. even, but this is even bigger because like Soa said, I mean, this is our tax money, right? That, right. That, and if it's true, hmm. uh, they need to really start cracking mm -hmm. down on so, this. So Esther, when you said, uh, uh, when you started with saying on the street and you were talking about the cars, mm -hmm. I actually thought you were going to talk about those NGOs on the street uh, that you know, try to get your uh, signature
signatures for uh, goodwills. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But in many cases, sometimes I wonder if they really use each of this these pennies for the the you know the goodwill. You have to actually do your research. I know. You're absolutely yeah, right sure. because uh, I forget which companies they are, but there are certain companies where they only donate like pennies on the dollar. Mm. Uh, and like the CEOs of the quote unquote uh, organ- the nonprofit organizations mm-hmm. make millions mm-hmm. and uh, literally pennies. So there's actually a list. If you do a research on it, which uh, c- organizations don't take any profit, mm-hmm. literally any profit, mm-hmm. 100% of yeah, the proceeds yeah. go to whoever you're supposed to, mm-hmm. there's a list of that. Mm-hmm. And you'll be surprised which companies actually, organizations actually take a significant amount of the cut that you're donating. Mm-hmm. They're big name co- uh, uh, organizations. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm not going to name them because I might get in trouble for this <laughs> but just do your research basically right. is what you're trying to say good point there yeah, so that's uh, why they, they should receive uh, you know the nation's people's trust mm. especially Absolutely. after this recent findings from the government right. which is why a lot of people when they do want to make donations they, they donate to places directly mm-hmm. uh, knowing where it's going to oh. be used and things like that right, right. right? and so uh, always, always. You can't trust. That's why you can't trust anybody. Uh, let's move on to uh, international news here. Uh, this is really, really uh, scary here. Uh, mm-hmm. Numbers are going back and forth. I've heard at least uh, 275. I heard mm-hmm. some reports say at least 288. Uh, mm-hmm. Numbers, they're, they're unsure right now. Uh, we're talking about the deadly mm-hmm. train cash trash uh, over in India. Uh, the railway minister says signal failure led to the disasters that killed uh, hundreds there. Yoongyang, give us the latest on this. Yes, SJ. At least 275 people were killed in a deadly train crash in India's Odisha state. A preliminary investigation found that an error in the entry signal caused the train to enter another railroad, causing the worst accident. A train derailment crash occurred near Bazaar State station, Odisha, India, at around 7.20 p.m. local time on the 2nd. The number of deaths has increased to at least 275, and the number of injuries has reached at least 1,000. The governor of Odisha said, last carriage work has begun, and so far about 275 deaths have been confirmed by the National Railroad and local police. A probe found that the accident began when the passenger uh, train entered the cargo track and collided with the cargo train uh, with the rail signal not properly displayed. Later, the passenger train derailed and crossed to a nearby track, and another train on the track from the opposite side hit a derailed passenger car. A witness of the train crash mentioned that the crash entangled the people in the train and hit me, so I was crushed on the bottom floor. The Indian government is working on rescue operations with 1,200 rescue teams and military personnel, and no South Koreans are among the casualties so far. President Yoon Seok-yeol and other world leaders expressed their condolences for the accident. In India, uh, 12,000 people use 14,000 trains every day, and accidents like this are frequent due to outdated signal equipment and poor safety management of old vehicles. Only 12,000 people use this? I'm sure there'll be a lot more than 12,000 people because in, over in India, I mean, you, you guys have seen photos of how people travel around uh, in India, but they're overly packed is what usually happens. Mm-hmm. And I think that that might be... Uh, maybe a typo in the numbers there. There's far, I mean, because let's, 
India is now the most populated uh, country in the world now. And right, uh, right. just judging by how many people use the train there, I, I think uh, 12,000 is just way too low there. We'll, we'll do a mm -hmm. double check on that. Uh, let's shift gears now to the war in Ukraine. Russia is claiming that it's thwarted a major Ukrainian offensive in the city of Donetsk, uh, killing 250 Ukrainian troops, while Ukraine is, of course, uh, looking to get prepared for the counteroffensive to take back some of its territory. So what's the latest there? Sure. Uh, just uh, quickly, I just uh, quickly checked on Google. I think it might be in the millions, the m number of... Uh people using the train in India oh, in each India. day. I mean, even if they say 120 million, uh, I would not be surprised. Or even 12, even 12 mm. million sounds very little for a country like India. Uh, even if, like, honestly, I think it might be 120 million people use uh, that much. Um, I think it might be 12,000 trains and more than 23 million passengers a day. A day, 23 million passengers. Yeah, that seems Don't more quote like... me on it. It's, it's just what I just uh, yeah, saw. Yeah, let me just do a double yeah, check on sure. that soon. So let's uh, now shift to, to Ukraine. Uh, on the morning of June 4th, the enemy launched a large-scale offensive in five sectors of the front in the South Donetsk direction. That's what Russia's defense ministry said on Monday, claiming Russia's forces has thwarted this major Ukrainian offensive in Donetsk, killing 250 Ukrainian troops, as well as destroying 16 tanks and other armored vehicles. Ukraine, however, reportedly had no relevant comment. What we are aware of, however, is that a counteroffensive by Ukraine has been long prepared for to retrieve its territory that Russia has aggressively claimed. It's too early to say, though, whether this counteroffensive has begun or not. Ukraine's military just recently uh, reiterated its plea for so-called operational silence regarding the counteroffensive. Uh, why that? Uh, to prevent public words actually help the enemy. A large-scale attack from Ukraine uh, to retrieve its territory in the east and south is being anticipated uh, more and more. In fact, officials have recently also been cracking down on citizens that share images and footage uh, of air defense system that brought down Russian missiles. So lots of tension and uh, lots of, I would say, the Korean word nunchi, mm -hmm. uh, meaning uh, both sides are trying to, you know, see how the, their strategies, how, what they are expecting next. So uh, there is uh, lots of tension, especially for Ukraine's strategy to work while Russia won't be just uh, sitting back. Yeah. Uh, very quickly, uh, just an update here, just some research. About 22 million people ride 14,000 trains across India every day is what it is. Yeah, 12,000 just seems way too little oh, for million uh 22 million, million. Not, yeah 22 million uh million. finally very quickly here we are running out of time uh, singer kim Tae-han uh winning the queen elizabeth competition uh once again enhancing national prestige when it comes to k classic we've been seeing a uh, number of uh, musicians in this field winning a number of illustrious and uh, very exclusive uh, mm -hmm. awards uh, yung young uh, run, uh, finishes things off for us with, with this yes sj Korean vocalist Kim Tae-han, who is a 22-year-old baritone, won the Queen Elizabeth competition in Belgium, which is considered one of the world's top three competitions. Kim Tae-han was selected as the winner of the vocal competition held in Bazaar, Brussels, uh, Belgium on the fourth local time. 
This is the first time that an Asian male vocalist has won the Queen Elizabeth competition since the vocal category was newly established in 1988. Born in 2000, Kim Tae-han graduated from Sonwa Arch High School and studied at the Department of Vocal Music at Seoul National University. He's a rookie who made his debut in September last year's solo concert. The Queen Elizabeth competition is a world-renowned music competition held in Brussels, uh, Belgium. It is divided into cello, vocal music, violin, and piano, and is held every year in different fields. It is also considered one of the three major competitions, along with Poland's uh, shopping competition and Russia's Tchaikovsky competition. Kim Tae-an is the fifth South Korean and the first Asian man to win this event. In this year's competition, vocal music category was held from the 21st to the 3rd of last month. 64 people made to the finals, and among them, 18 were Korean vocalists, and three, including Kim Tae-han, Jung In-ho, and Won Kyung-min, advanced to the finals. Jung In-ho came in fifth. Cho Soo-mi, a world-renowned soprano from South Korea, participated as a judge in this competition. Immediately after the announcement of the results, Cho met with reporters and said, I've won the competition several times, and I'm even more happier now. And Park Bo-gyun, Minister of Culture, Sports and Tourism, said this award was intense that it imprinted the global influence of the K-Classic, adding, I will cheer with the people for Kim Tan's beautiful voice to console more people around the world in the future. There you have it. Congratulations. But very quick uh, correction here. Uh, amongst the finalists, Kwon Kyung-min was his name. Not oh. Won Kyung-min. Kwon oh, Kyung-min. Sorry. Kwon Kyung-min. There you have it, guys. Unfortunately, we are out of time here. Thank you very much for your reports. Have a safe one, and we'll see you guys again. Thank, Thank you. you. You can listen to Korea Now with me, SJ Lee, by downloading the Arirang Radio application or tune in online by visiting www.arirangradio.com. So make sure you tune in Mondays through Fridays, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Korea time.